open your Bibles to Habakkuk. It's one of the minor prophets. You can find it on page 786 in your pew Bibles. We'll be reading from chapter 3 of Habakkuk, the entire chapter. Uh, Let me read it. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction, and curtains in the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, Selah. You split the earth with rivers, The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for this prayer of Habakkuk. Father, 
Lord, we just pray that your word would go forth with power. We pray that your spirit, Lord, would impress upon each of our hearts, Lord, uh, what it is that you would have us to learn from your word, Lord. We um, pray for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had an answer to prayer, but it was not quite what you expected or hoped? Um, I'm sure we've all had that that happen. Um, in my case, uh, how I ended up down here is probably one of the biggest instances of that. Um, you all know I, I'm from Nebraska. I grew up there, went to college at the University of Nebraska, and uh, actually studied engineering. And uh, as I graduated with an engineering degree, I started thinking about uh, what I would do with my life, and I had become a Christian in college, so um, I, I had a calling to, to do something with my life that impacted people and, and met people's needs. And so um, I started applying for engineering jobs and realized that probably wasn't what, I, what that wasn't for me at that point in my life. So um, Teach for America was recruiting on, on my college campus. And they send teachers to many of our highest needs schools across the country. So I applied. I was accepted. And uh, they sent me to Louisiana. And so uh, 16 years ago, that's how I got down here. And uh, God answered my prayer in, in a, a way that I would not have expected. But I've been able to have an impact to, to serve, and serve in schools and meet some definite needs. And so um, I trust that my efforts um, and God's gift have been used uh, for an impact here. So praise God for his answer to prayer, even though uh, it wasn't anything like I would have expected. Um, in, in our scripture reading today, we pick up in Habakkuk chapter 3, and Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. Um, other than the fact that he is a prophet, we know very little about Habakkuk. There's no or very little bio, biographical information provided to us. Um, we don't know who his parents were, what tribe he's from, or even exactly what time or whose reign uh, he's writing. But I think that God intentionally had left out many of that, much of that information uh, because he wants the focus to be on God himself and the character of God as he's revealed uh, here in Habakkuk's writing. Um, Habakkuk is also somewhat unique in the prophets in that really the book of Habakkuk is a conversation between uh, God and Habakkuk. It's God's not telling him, here, go tell your people uh, this message. It's more Habakkuk comes to God with complaints and God answers. And then Habakkuk, um, as we read there at the end, has a prayer uh, praising God. So a little context would be helpful. Um, in Habakkuk chapter 1, um, Habakkuk comes to God with a complaint. He sees the wickedness of his own people, people of Judah, and he cries, How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help? Uh, he complains about the violence and the injustice that he sees. And in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1, Habakkuk receives an answer directly from God. God says he's going to do something uh, wonderful in his days that he could hardly believe. He's raising up the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, a cruel and violent people to judge is uh, Judah. And uh, that's not the answer Habakkuk wanted. Habakkuk replies to God, God, how could you use this people even more wicked than we are to judge us? How could you let them get away with this? And God replies, you know, don't worry. They will get what they deserve also. He goes on to pronounce five woes against the Chaldeans, uh, promising retribution and assuring Habakkuk that God's wrath will uh, reach them as well. And in the midst of these woes is one of the more well-known verses in Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, Pastor Dean actually preached on Habakkuk chapter 2 
uh, back in 2018 in the Advent season. And that's kind of where we pick up in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk has, has presented his complaints to God, and God has answered, and Habakkuk presents this prayer of God's revealed sovereign plan to bring judgment on both Judah and Babylon. So the prayer begins with a request for revival in just verses 1 and 2. And then the majority of his prayer is a report of God's righteous power. And then Habakkuk concludes his prayer in verses 16 through 19 with a response of rejoicing in the Lord. So let's start off with his request for revival in verses 1 and 2. Uh, This is Habakkuk's prayer. This prayer represents a significant shift of attitude from his first two chapters. In the first two chapters, he was complaining. He was fairly bold before the Lord. In chapter 1, verse 2, he he cries out, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, God? Um, In chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk's even bolder. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what what he will answer concerning my complaint. Um, And at at this point in chapter 3, Habakkuk has received God's answers and has completely submitted to God's sovereign plan to bring Israel back to faith and to bring judgment on Babylon. The questions for God have stopped, and what follows is wholehearted praise for God, for his power to bring both judgment and salvation. This is Habakkuk's response to God's answers to his questions. It's a doxology. Uh, it's praising God for his mighty works. And it's structured somewhat like a psalm. It's, it's even got inscriptions commonly found in the psalms in, in verse 1 and then at the end uh, in verse 19. Habakkuk writes this psalm so that the people of Judah would be able to sing this psalm to remind themselves of, of God's power and to keep their hope in God despite this coming judgment. And in God's providence, Habakkuk's oracles and his prayer are recorded here for us so that we and and many throughout generations could read these words and use them for instruction on righteousness and to know more of our Lord. Um, It's a prayer in verse 1, according to the Shigianoth. Um, The exact meaning of that word is not known, so it's not even translated. Um, But most commentators think of it as a musical term, uh, meaning to praise with intense emotion. The only other Shigianoth we have Roger read for us in Psalm 7, which was our responsive reading. Um, and in, similarly, in Psalm 7, we saw that David was surrounded with, with evil and was being slandered and had the schemes of the enemies. And, and yet, in the midst of trouble, David expressed a complete trust in the Lord. Psalm 7 and verse 17 says, I will give the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. So a faith in the Lord despite trying circumstances seems to be the theme of a Shigianoth. And Habakkuk here has heard the report of the Lord, and he fears his work. Habakkuk knows the history of how the Lord has dealt with Israel, bringing her out of slavery in Egypt, conquering the people in the land of Canaan, and giving them this land flowing with milk and honey to dwell in. But moreover, Habakkuk has spoken directly, or God rather, has spoken directly to Habakkuk in chapters 1 and 2. And he shared his plan for dealing with the sin of Judah by allowing these Babylonian invaders to capture and decimate Judah and lead many into exile. And Habakkuk's response to this is fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Uh, There is a sinful fear that drives people away from the Lord, like the fear that Adam and Eve had in the garden when they hid from the Lord after the fall. But this is not the type of fear that Habakkuk has. Instead, Habakkuk has a right fear of the Lord. Uh, Michael Reeves, in his book Rejoice and Tremble, describes it like this. The fear of the Lord is an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent, good and true God is, and that therefore leans on him in staggered praise and faith. That is the type of fear that Habakkuk has. He's convinced of God's holiness, his goodness, and even his kindness, even in judgment of sin, and he has a filial fear that draws him near to God and keeps him from turning away. And in fear, Habakkuk makes a request of the Lord. In verse 2, he asks him to revive his work and to make it known. In chapter 1, Habakkuk's main complaint was that he saw injustice, he saw violence, he saw disregard for God's law among his own people, Judah. And Habakkuk sees the answer to this disregard for God and his law is revival. Um, God's mighty works being made known. He says, God, remember how you brought us out of Egypt? Remember how you drove out the people of this land? Remember your mighty works, your supernatural protection, and your guidance for your people? Lord, revive your works in these years. Make yourself known today. Habakkuk knows that the way God will make himself known at this time, though, is in judgment through the barbaric Babylonians. And yet Habakkuk prays for God to make himself known and to bring revival. And Habakkuk's Habakkuk's final request is, verse 2, In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk knows he and his people, and especially the Babylonians, only deserve God's wrath. Yet his plea is that God would have mercy, that God would pour out his favor on them even when they don't deserve it. And Habakkuk knows of God's covenant with Israel, right? God had promised Abraham that his children would be a blessing to many nations, He knew that God would preserve this remnant for the fulfillment of God's covenant. And while Habakkuk didn't live to see it, we know of it now. Um, Where was this covenant ultimately fulfilled? Where was wrath poured out at the very same time that mercy was provided? No event in history pairs wrath and mercy more clearly and completely than the cross of Jesus Christ. Wrath was poured out on Jesus God's only begotten Son for the sin of the world. And through his blood, God had mercy on sinners that all who believe and place their faith and trust in him would be washed clean and be completely justified and have Christ's imputed righteousness. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk's request was granted at the cross. Verse 2 contains the only petitions in Habakkuk's entire prayer. Uh, So we move from Habakkuk's request for revival in verses 1 and 2 to to the report of God's righteous power in verses 3 through 15. The bulk of Habakkuk's prayer song points to God's might, his power, his splendor. Habakkuk recalls how God has displayed his mighty power throughout history. Uh, Verses 3 through 5 picture God being brought out of Egypt. Commentators think Teman and Mount Paran refer to the south, where God revealed himself on Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 2 says, He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. 
He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. And immediately after Moses or God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, we have an account of the Lord's power on display at Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 18, right after the Ten Commandments, says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And at the same time God revealed his power, he actually veiled his power because God knew that man should not see God and and live, as he told Moses. Um, It says pestilence and plague uh, were around him. Not only does God appear in splendor, glory, and light, but with a purpose. Pestilence went before him, and plague followed at his heels. We think of God's use of the plagues upon the Egyptians, as Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Uh, Pestilence and plagues were instruments of God's judgment which he wielded against Egypt and then even among unbelievers in Israel. Moving on to verses 6 and 7, we see God's work in the promised land as Israel came out of the wilderness to take possession of the land. It says the Lord measured the earth and had ordained that his people would occupy the land of Canaan. Mountains, which are eternal in the sense that they've existed since the beginning of creation, were scattered. We see God with the power to take things that have existed since the beginning of creation, things made of solid rock, humongous things, and scatter them, right? And cause the tallest mountains to sink low. All who read Habakkuk's Habakkuk's prayer psalm will learn of our God who holds the depths of the earth in his hand and the heights of the mountains are his also, as Psalm 95 puts it. The fear of the Lord was instilled not only in the people of Israel, but in the nations who occupied the land. We remember Rahab and her report of the people of Jericho's fears in Joshua as the spies are are coming into Jericho. Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 record this. Before the men lay down, she came up to them, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, because there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And in the song of Moses, Moses speaks of this fear that the nations felt as the Lord led his people to take possession of the land. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 14 through 16, it says, The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. So remember also, it wasn't the might of the Israelites or their conquering army that caused the nations to fear. The land of Cushan and Median trembled just hearing rumors of the greatness of the God of the universe and the mighty one, the mighty power of his arm. 
the remaining verses, verses 8 through 15 of Habakkuk chapter 3, continue to praise God for his might and his power. These verses picture God as a God of war with, with horses and chariots, bows and arrows and spears. In verse 8, Habakkuk asks the question, were you angry with the rivers and the sea? Um, Habakkuk may be thinking back to the Exodus where the Nile was turned to blood and the Red Sea was split in two. Or, as this is a poem, um, seas are often symbolic of the tumultuous Gentile nations. In that case, it would make sense that God's wrath is against those nations that have rejected him. In in either case, we should be in awe of God's holy might. In verses 9 through 11, uh, it continues this image of our conquering warrior God. He has weapons of war. He has arrows and spears. And again, his power sparks both fear and worship, even in creation itself. Uh, Jesus said something similar as he entered Jerusalem on his way to the cross. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 38 through 40. Jesus' disciples cried out, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The creation was created to bring glory to its creator. So we, as the foremost of his creation, have a duty to praise our God and Habakkuk here pictures the mountains, the rivers, the deep, all in amazement of God's power and might. Verse 11 is another allusion to God's power displayed in history. In Joshua 10, uh, God gave Israel victory over the Amorites at Gibeon uh, when the Lord brought large hailstones uh, on, on the Amorites. And Joshua actually commanded the sun and the moon to stand still. And they did for a whole day as Israel took vengeance on their enemies. It wasn't Joshua himself that did these things. No army can make the sun and moon stand still. Uh, No man-made idol can do this. Only God over all creation, who has displayed his power throughout Israel's history, can do these things. And consistent with the theme of Habakkuk and indeed the theme of all scripture, we see God's fury and and his wrath juxtaposed with his salvation. Verses 12 and 13 describe God's dual purpose. He went out for both the salvation of his people and judgment on the wicked. Matthew Henry comments on chapter 3, verse 13. All the powers of nature are shaken, and the course of nature is changed, and everything seems to be thrown into disorder, and all is for the salvation of God's people. Think of the lengths that God has gone to to save his people throughout the Old Testament. History, time and time again, God has shown mercy to his people, saving them from enemy nations, dis- disciplining them, preserving a remnant that, we, that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And the New Testament carries on these two purposes, wrath and salvation. We learn that the Lord's gospel message will bring salvation to those who receive it and judgment on those who reject it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So on this side of the cross, we have an even deeper knowledge of how huge God's love and care and concern for his people is. That he gave his only begotten son, his anointed one, to take on human form, to fully identify with us, and to bear the weight of God's wrath on the cross for us so that we could have our sins forgiven and the righteousness of Christ imputed. 
This is the result of all creation, all of history, and all of God's revealing himself to his creatures, the salvation. So what do we learn from Habakkuk's extended praise of God's power and majesty? Um, One of the most important and best things we can do in our prayers and our hymns and in our works is to give God glory and honor and praise. Our God is worthy of honor and praise. And Habakkuk's praise for his God was specific. So praise is best when when it's specific. Think about the way we encourage and praise one another. I can, uh, it's one thing to tell someone, uh, great job, but it's another level of praise to say, uh, the turkey at Thanksgiving dinner was my favorite, absolutely delicious, moist and flavorful, in the same way we can and should be specific in our praise of God. Prayers like Habakkuk's teach us and remind us of God's work in history and even in our own lives. We should be able to praise God for what he's done for his people throughout history, but also what he's done for us personally, for our families, for people we know. So God reveals his character in his works. When we see the way that God is a mighty warrior and we learn about how he loves and protects his people and pours out wrath on those who reject him, we get to know our God better. Our relationship is strengthened when we can trust that he is for us because of the lengths that he has gone for us. This type of praise for God humbles us and places us in our proper position before God. Often I have an inflated view of my own impact on the world, but actually God is the one in control. And while I strive to be faithful and obedient, to love God first and to love my neighbor as myself, God is able to take those meager efforts and use them for his glory. And when I consider how God has worked in my life despite my failures and weaknesses and even my rebellion and sin, I'm left with only gratitude and praise for God's sovereign control and his work in my life. And so we move on to the final portion of Habakkuk. In verses 16 through 19, we hear, Habakkuk hears rather, um, and his body trembles. His lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters his bones. He has a visceral reaction to the work of God. We can see he's, he's almost sick to his stomach at, at what is coming. This is the proper response of man before the power of our sovereign God when we recognize our own weaknesses and his incomparable might. Humility and fear is the proper response. Uh, This could also refer to God's response to Habakkuk's questions and the news that God would send the Babylonians in judgment upon unfaithful Judah. 
Uh, but this idea that this even more wicked nation uh, achieving military success over Habakkuk's people will cause a visceral reaction. And this thought uh, made him sick to his stomach and fearful of what these barbarians would do. Yet the second half of verse 16 reveals his faith in the midst of fear. He acknowledges that this is God's sovereign plan, and he knows that Babylon will be judged and will be utterly wiped out when the time is right. So Habakkuk says he will wait quietly for God's judgment to come upon the Babylonians. He has complete confidence that God will do what he has promised. Back in verse 2, Habakkuk asked that revival would come in the midst of years, and we learn from other prophets that the Babylonian captivity would last as much as 70 years. Uh, We don't know if Habakkuk knew this, but in any case, Habakkuk trusts God and is content to wait for the day when judgment would come upon the invading Babylonians. And verses 17 through 19 paint a picture of, of famine. The fields produce no food, no figs, no grapes, no olives. There are no sheep, no cattle. Uh, most likely the cause of these circumstances is that Babylonian invasion that's coming. They were known to cut down and burn all agricultural um, fruit-bearing trees in the countries they invaded, and likely they would have either slaughtered or carried off all of the livestock as well. So the devastations of the enemy would leave the land barren and uncultivated, and the people with no means to feed themselves or their families. So what is Habakkuk's response to this devastation? Verses 18 and 19 tell us that Habakkuk will rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because his faith does not depend on his circumstances. He has faith in the Lord. You know, that's all caps in your Bible. That's, that's Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, the God who's faithful even when we are unfaithful. He takes joy in the God of his salvation. He knows the end of God's judgment and wrath is salvation for those who are his, for his glory. I can't recall who shared this, but uh, a few years ago, I heard someone give testimony about their mission trip to an underdeveloped country, and this person shared that the people there had almost nothing. They uh, had maybe one set of clothes, not even shoes for their feet, um, lived in just shacks, and uh, what characterized these people, however, was their joy, despite their destitute circumstances. So their hope and their joy was not in their possessions, but, but they could have joy in the Lord. And here Habakkuk has the faith of Paul, who endured persecutions, lashings, beatings, stoning, imprisonment, shipwreck, danger, toil, even hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And Paul said in Romans 8:18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. No, Habakkuk will not let his circumstances dictate his attitude. Uh, he will be joyful in whatever circumstances God has ordained. He goes on to say how he will rejoice in these circumstances. Verse 19, God the Lord is his strength. He doesn't have strength in himself. God is his strength. His strength isn't from fig trees, vineyards, herds. The Lord is his strength. Pastor David Guzik says that what we praise is our strength. So by our words, our life, our emotions, we might 
praise our own resources, our possessions, our achievements, or another person, those things quickly become our strength. And when those things let us down, as they always do, uh, we will become weak. We lose hope. Habakkuk says the Lord himself is his strength. Uh, Those who trust and hope in the Lord will never be disappointed. These verses remind us to hold on to our earthly possessions loosely. Indeed, Habakkuk says God, his strength, makes his feet like the deer's and makes him to tread on high places. Picture mountain goats who uh, can climb and graze on amazingly steep cliffs with seeming ease. They're able to navigate difficult terrain remarkably well. Somehow they are sure-footed where most other animals would, would fall. And Habakkuk is here is able to be sure-footed in circumstances when most of us would fall into despair. And as such, Habakkuk is able to tread on high places as the deer do, not in fear, but confident with life and joy. So Habakkuk's prayer is also instructive for our own prayers. His requests and his petitions are surrounded by praise for God for his mighty works. Habakkuk prays with complete submission to God's will and pledges his commitment to faith despite challenging circumstances and answers from God that were not what Habakkuk wanted. Yet he trusted that God's ways were better. In chapter 1, Habakkuk began by pleading with God, How long, O Lord? And by chapter 3, he says he will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade him. It's, remarkable, it's a remarkable change of attitude and one that we can look to when we're tempted to pray, How long, O Lord? Habakkuk's prayer song is full of meaning for his people, as it is for us today. Habakkuk saw the depravity of his own people and the need for God to intervene, and he prayed for revival. While God shared more information with Habakkuk about how he would handle this rebellious people, we can similarly pray for revival in our day. Just as we look around and see our nation and our culture turning away from the Lord, you know, that's to be expected. But especially as we see even our church, not just our church, but the church in general, struggling to be faithful. And in many instances, we see representatives of the church falling into sin, failing to respond to sin, and and neglecting to call people to repentance. Uh, We ought to pray, as Habakkuk did, for revival. Um, Three things to note. Habakkuk, through his prayer, includes patience and contentment in waiting, and asks that revival occur in the midst of years, uh, in his lifetime. And he prayed with sobering knowledge of of judgment and wrath. He knew that the nations and even many of his own people would fail to turn to God and would be recipients of wrath. But yet he asked God to remember mercy in the midst of wrath. He knew God's character, which as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, that God is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'll close with a quote from Pastor Warren Wearsby. He says, Habakkuk teaches us to face our doubts and questions honestly, to take them humbly to the Lord, wait for his word to teach us, and then worship him, no matter how we feel or what we see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the prayer of Habakkuk. Father, we pray, Lord, for the type of faith that Habakkuk had, Lord, that despite his circumstances, Lord, despite devastation that was coming, Father, Uh, He knew that you were his strength, Father. I pray, Father, for each of us that you would, Lord, make you our strength, Father. 
Uh, give us contentment. Give us faith. Give us trust in you, Lord, despite uh, the failure of our crops, Lord, um, our fortunes, whatever the case may be, Father. Um, help us, Lord, to trust in you, knowing that, Lord, the struggles of this present time are not even worth comparing to what you have in store for us. And so, Father, um, we thank you, Lord, for your graciousness to us. We thank you for your might and your power as, as, as displayed here in Habakkuk. And, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you are about your salvation of your people. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.